Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. I've been joking lately that this podcast is now uh, all about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act all the time, and I regret to inform you that this week will be no different, uh, though I will say that I am working to line up a few non-Section 230 guests as well. Uh, I hope that doesn't scare off any listeners who have become used to this podcast just being about 230. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about what I consider to be the most serious threat to Section 230 in a while, uh, which also has the bonus awfulness of initially being presented as an attack on end-to-end encryption as well. Uh, This is the EARNIT Act, or the Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act of 2020. Uh, This bill was put forth by Senators Lindsey Graham, Uh, Richard Blumenthal, Josh Hawley, and Dianne Feinstein. Uh, As originally constructed, the bill set up a commission led by the Attorney General who would come up with a set of best practices for dealing with child sexual abuse material, or CSAM, uh, which is what used to be called child porn. Uh, And if sites followed those best practices, they could still enjoy Section 230 protections. Uh, There was plenty of fear that this commission would basically just be a charade, allowing Attorney General Bill Barr to say that having end-to-end encryption was not a best practice uh, and was a sign that a platform was trying to hide CSAM on its platform. Uh, In other words, it could be a backdoor to, well, backdooring encryption. Uh, Last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a markup in which amendments to the bill were considered and voted on, uh, and the bill actually changed somewhat drastically uh, in an obvious attempt to respond to some of the criticism that had been leveled at the original bill. Uh, We'll get into all the nitty-gritty details soon, but at a high level, the main text of the bill was entirely replaced by a new version uh, from Senators Graham and Blumenthal that is actually quite different. It has some similarities, but is is really kind of a different bill. While it still has a commission to come up with some sort of best practices, those best practices uh, do nothing. (laughs) There's no more earning Section 230 protections in the Earn It Act. It's just a random set of recommendations by people who might not necessarily be the best place to be making such recommendations. However, in place of that, they've taken the FOSTA path of simply adding in a new exception to Section 230 for CSAM. Now, to me, this is weird on multiple levels. First, because CSAM already violates federal law, and federal law is already exempted from Section 230 and always has been. Uh, Second, there just aren't that many cases out there where 230 somehow blocked a CSAM lawsuit. So it's unclear what problem is actually being solved here. Uh, But an even bigger issue is that the whole structure of the original bill was that we needed to create this commission to figure out what the best practices were 
to better protect children online. Uh, but the new bill basically ignores its own commission and says, okay, uh, CSAM must be totally exempted from the law without any evidence as to why or how that helps. Um, the other big change that came out last week is that uh, Senator Pat Leahy got an amendment success successfully added that appears to be in response to the encryption concerns that people raised. And it basically says that none of this should be seen to impact encryption, uh, though our, there are remaining concerns about how well uh, that works with the rest of the bill and whether or not different state laws may still create problems for encryption. Uh, and there are worries at least that we'd be looking at years of litigation to figure that out. Um, oh, and uh, there's also <laughs> a whole different rabbit hole to go down uh, with another somewhat related bill that Senator Graham recently dropped, uh, which would effectively outlaw end-to-end -end encryption entirely, uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> there's much, much more to discuss in all of this, but I've been hogging the microphone for too long when we have a real expert here to discuss all of this. Uh, Rihanna Pfefferkorn is the Associate Director of Surveillance and Cybersecurity at the Stanford Center for Internet and Society and has been one of the most thoughtful and vocal chroniclers of the problems of the Earned Act. And so she is here to explain this whole mess to us. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Uh, so... Um, you just wrote, what was it, about 4,000 words on, <laughs> or the, so. uh, on the, the new Earned Act after having written many more on the old Earned Act. Um, so do you want to give, let's start with maybe a high-level summary of what, what are your concerns with the latest version of the bill? So my concerns remain um, narrowed but unchanged, I would say. You know, it was heartening to see that the replacement version of the bill and the manager's amendment that Senator Graham introduced last week, right before everybody went on holiday, what a great time to introduce a, a big <laughs> amendment to a controversial bill, um, that, <clears throat> that a number of those things that changed in the bill were responsive to concerns that I and others had raised, in particular about the impact on encryption, you mentioned the Leahy amendment, and to concerns about the bill's potential Fourth Amendment problems. Um, those, I think, have been, there's been some attempt to address and contain those, but the fact still remains that this is still a threat to free speech on the internet um, in the same way, much the same way as the controversial SESTA-FOSTA law from 2018 was and, and continues to be. That bill, or excuse me, that law has been challenged as unconstitutional under the First Amendment and really even the replacement version of the Earnet Act is now much more overtly akin to SESTA-FOSTA in that it just strips immunity under Section 230 for CSAM offenses uh, full, full stop. And it's akin to this long line of bills that are aimed at usually a think of the children type mm. rationale to try and bring some sense of decency to the internet. And those are laws that courts have been striking down ever since the nineties. You know, this is, this traces all the way back to the underlying communications decency act um, from which section 230 is the only non terrible part and you know, the, the surviving <laughs> part, right. Um, of which the challenges brought by the ACLU and others back in the 90s uh, gave us the principle, as affirmed by the Supreme Court, that free speech on the internet 
is still subject to First Amendment protections. And so what we have seen with a lot of those bills, there was the CDA in the first place, then there was the COPA, the Child Online Privacy Mm -hmm. Act, um, not to be confused with COPPA. Um, Now we have SESTA-FOSTA, which has been challenged in D.C. District Court, including by one of my colleagues at Stanford, Daphne Keller. And uh, now we have have the Earn It Bill as sort of the latest, where there's these attempts to rein in the bad stuff on the Internet. And... Every time there's going to be either a direct command, as with the early versions from the 90s of these kinds of, of, of laws, or more recently, the, uh, the recognition that, okay, if, if, if we're going to have this be up to the providers, that we're going to provide incentives for the providers that end up telling the providers that they need to censor and remove much more speech uh, than is necessary. The effect of these laws has been, and the effect of the Earn It Act, if enacted, will be to cause providers, whether that's Google, whether that's Craigslist, whether that's Facebook, whether that's Twitter, you know, name name your favorite or least favorite, uh, you know, big tech uh, boogeyman du jour, um, to incentivize them to remove a bunch of legal content because that is the potentially the easiest way of trying to get out all of the illegal content that these respective laws are are consecutively trying to be aimed at. Here it's uh, it's child sexual abuse material. Um, the only part of the Earn It Act that I sort of unequivocally welcome is the big biggest chunk of the bill, actually, which is just to go do a find and replace throughout federal law to take <laughs> out the term child pornography and replace it with uh, child sexual abuse material. That's fine with me. I have no problem with that. Right. Um, but everything else about it is is a dumpster fire. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so um, and, and, you know, we've already seen that with with Foster Sesta, you know, and, and this is, you know, recent history. We saw what happened when that law passed, which was that, you know, a bunch of sites shut parts down, um, you know, dating sites. Craigslist uh, took away its dating uh, stuff and a, a few other sites have have shut down just out of fear that they might be accused of um, you know facilitating sex trafficking in some form or another um, you know while recognizing that they were really taking down a ton of of obviously protected and perfectly legal speech uh, and so it's weird that at a moment where at least some in Congress are recognizing that that was that there were problems associated with that and are calling for studies on on the overall impact of FOSTA SESTA that we would rush sort of headlong into into uh, repeating the exact same setup uh, of the bill. Um, and then it's still kind of a strike while the iron is hot thing, though. You know, I think you more than anybody recognize that Section 230 is kind of the popular punching bag for policymakers, lawmakers across the political spectrum. And so, you know, that's only gotten to even more of a fever pitch since 2018 when SESTA-FOSTA was the first law to actually be passed to abrogate uh, Section 230 protections, right, that, that had previously been in place. And so now, you know, it's, it's very clear that that bill has provided the inspiration. Um, Senator Graham, who's one of the co-sponsors, co-authors of, of Earn It, was among the early co-sponsors of SESTA-FOSTA as well, if I, if I remember correctly. And 
we've had some studies, you know, I believe uh, we've seen Eric Goldman blog about this. We've seen um, Hacking Hustling, which is a sex workers mm -hmm. rights group. Uh, there's been research showing what the impact of SESTA-FOSTA has been on the livelihood and safety of sex workers. And the news is not good. And, you know, I think it's, it's easy for groups like that to be dismissed and uh, minimized uh, in, in crafting federal policy. It's, it's harder to see what the rationale is is here where it would hurt everybody online in terms of our speech rights even if you could sort of carve off and say well it's only sex workers why should we care about them yeah um and you know one of the things that that I, one of the things that i find really strange about this at least with with sesta fosta there was an argument. I don't necessarily know that it was a good argument, there was, but there was an argument that there were sites that were, you know, sort of living off of, um, you know, promoting. To, I'm, like, how do how do you put this? Right. You know, <laughs> there there were arguments that there were sites that were were engaged in bad activity um, that were being protected under section 230 when they shouldn't have been that turns out to not really be the case and so i'm that's part of the reason why i hesitated and of course you know mainly we're talking about Backpage, and of course Backpage got shut down the week before sesta fosta became law um, and there are questions about whether or not Backpage was actually a bad actor but that's that is a entirely separate discussion which we're not going to have in in this case though there's there isn't that there there aren't examples of of csam being um stopped because of section or, or, or stopping CSAM <laughs> uh, being blocked because of section 230. And in fact, much of the kind of, uh, uh, I was about to say moral panic. I don't know if it's quite a moral panic, but the, the panic over um, the, you know, CSAM being available on websites is because the, the various platforms have been engaged in, in this sort of voluntary reporting structure uh, where if they come across this material, they're reporting hashed versions of it to NCMEC um, and sharing that to help block that material. And it's that reporting that got attention because, oh, there's so much of this online, which is the, really just like now people are actually cataloging it in order to help block it. Um, and it feels like that voluntary effort to help block this material is now being turned against the platforms. Um, and and it's the, the 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 sort of whole setup is weird. The other uh, point that I that I wanted to raise in all of this is that you know so, uh, Fosta Sesta was in 2018, which you know was a midterm election. This is 2020, where we have a general election, and it does feel like an awful lot of this is uh, for the headlines <laughs> and being able to uh, say like, oh look what I've done to stop this very bad thing. Uh, whether or not the law actually stops the very bad thing. And I'll note that, that at least one of the co-sponsors of the bill, which is Lindsey Graham, is up for election this year again, um, which might explain some of his enthusiasm for this very bad bill. <laughs> but uh, that's I think, speculative. You know, I, I think that, certainly, that, that, that could certainly be a part of it. It's that that old saw of... There's this problem, right? There's been CSAM material on the internet for as long as there's been internet. And with this or with any other problem, 
you can see the people who are charged with doing something saying we must do something this is something therefore we must do this right <laughs> and and it doesn't matter if everybody is telling them this is a terrible idea this isn't going to fix the problem that you're solving it could make a lot of other problems worse um there's this incentive as you say to be seen doing something especially if you're up for re-election and you know i think it's kind of helpful really to try and get outside of our Silicon Valley bubble where I look at a bill like Earn It or like the other bill that you mentioned, the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act. And I say, who in their right mind could possibly think this is good, that this is a good idea? But, you know, I'm not, um, you know, some grandma in South Carolina who is right. considering whether or not to, to vote for Lindsey Graham in November. Um, and especially when it comes to this radioactive topic of yes. child sex abuse that I think, you know, has this effect of kind of turning off rational thought and discussion, and it makes it so much more difficult for politicians to stand up and say, wait a second, I, I don't think I can go along with this, um, precisely because they are then opened up to the extremely easy response of how can you possibly be against protecting the children? And so the fact that the Earn It bill was so controversial earlier, um, I think the manager's amendment, all the changes that were made, and in particular the Leahy amendment um, regarding some attempt to protect encryption are ways to make this terrible bill seem more palatable in order to give a lot of members who might not want to vote for it otherwise a, a, a clear path to being able to vote for it so that they can both minimize the damage that they do by <laughs> voting for this terrible piece of legislation while also not opening themselves up to that charge of you're against saving the children. Right. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the Leahy Amendment. Um, because that, you know, it appears like just if you just kind of glance through it quickly, uh, and, um, and, and read it, that it, it looks like it carves encryption out of the bill. Um, there are concerns as to how accurate that is. So do you want to describe kind of what the Leahy Amendment says and what it does and where the concerns are? Sure. So if we think of Section 230 as this immunity, and we think of the Earn It Bill as a carve out from that immunity. The Leahy Amendment, I think, is trying to put that, you know, recover that carve out with respect to uh, encryption in particular. And the way that the Leahy Amendment phrases that is full end-to-end -end encrypted messaging, device encryption, or other encryption services, um, in addition to uh, information necessary to decrypt a communication or some action that would undermine uh, being able to provide those other things. And those are three categories of actions or failure to act or, or failure to possess data that this amendment would say will not give rise to liability under the new found exposure, thanks to the immunity carve out from 230 that this bill would expose providers to. So I don't think that was the most concise way of, of, of phrasing it. Um, no, but it it's, is... I, 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 I think I think it's it's fair to point out how complicated it is because it's like an exception to an exception to an immunity, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so I think that the only in order to understand it, it has to be complex. So sorry, go on. Right. Well, and and because it is this exception to an exception to an immunity, you know, I've I've, I've seen this discussed as being essentially a defense to a liability charge rather than the underlying immunity itself. And right. the defense is, to a charge is less useful than immunity in the first place. Yes. Right? And, 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 
Yeah, yeah sorry, but, just to cut in, like, as an example that I think a lot of people who listen to this will understand is there's always there's there's been this constant fight over in the copyright context of fair use and, and whether or not fair use. Uh, if you read the law, uh, this is a tangent that I probably shouldn't go down because I'll go too long <laughs> on it. But but if you look at the law, fair use, it says is, is not an infringement of copyright. Therefore, it should be considered an immunity. And yet it has been interpreted by the courts as a defense to infringement. That if you're accused of infringement, and so in, in that case, the only way you can prove fair use is if you go through a long and costly trial. Um, and so that is in, in sort of the concern with the Leahy Amendment, is that you will only discover whether or not you are protected for your encryption uses after a, a lengthy trial, more or less. I mean, I think I think that could be right. Mm -hmm. And now you've gotten me thinking about how to analogize <laughs> this to fair use analyses. And, um, you know, fair use can be so fact intensive, right? Sure. Um, and that means you, know, you might need to take a lot of discovery, figure out, you know, how what the where the evidence points to. Maybe it's something that you'd bring in more of the summary judgment type phase. Um, I would like to think that we could, if this bill were to pass, have this... Uh, liability protection under the Leahy Amendment come in more at a motion to dismiss stage mm -hmm. earlier on. And, you know, for, for those not well versed in, in how federal lawsuits play out, a uh, motion to dismiss comes before discovery in most cases, which comes before summary judgment. And so the whole point of Section 230 immunity is that you're supposed to be able to kill these, these kinds of lawsuits that violate 230 or try to circumvent and do an end run around that immunity um, can get struck down and, and, and tossed out of court very quickly. Um, what we see in practice is that it is often still uh, lengthy uh, battle just to get to that point, to yeah. try and bring a motion to dismiss on Section 230 grounds, um, usually also in addition to other things like, oh, I don't know, the First Amendment, um, that you know, <laughs> would, would, would apply to kill the, the lawsuit anyway, even in the absence of 230. Um, but you know, I used to be a litigator in private practice at a large law firm here in the Bay Area, and we had a ton of Section 230 cases. And you're still, you know, we, we weren't cheap, right? on right. an hourly basis, it costs a lot of money to even get to the point where you can get a lawsuit thrown out that never should have been brought in the first place. You know, if I, if I were a federal judge, I would be handing out sanctions like candy on Halloween <laughs> to people who filed lawsuits that are clearly barred by Section 230 um, and don't even make particularly clever efforts, uh, non-frivolous efforts, as the standard would, would have to be to try and plead around it. But so much of the time, um, there's basically some effort to say, no, 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 my, my, my lawsuit isn't based on a theory of liability that is barred by, by the 230 immunity. It's something else, right? And I think that's right. what we will see uh, with the Leahy Amendment if that goes into a final version of the Earnit Bill as passed, which is that there will be um, plenty of litigants who will say, no, 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 I'm not suing you, WhatsApp, because of uh, your end-to-end -end encryption uh, design. It's you know some other reason, right? And right. I think it would be easy with creative lawyering or not particularly creative lawyering to come up with any number of reasons. So it might only just take away one of the reasons that you might be bringing to try and, and prove your case um, for liability under state CSAM laws or under the portions of federal CSAM law for which uh, this opens the door to civil lawsuits. So that's where you know there's concern that this doesn't necessarily do everything that it is cracked up to be in terms of protecting encryption. It's like, okay, great, now you have the right to defend your use of encryption. And one other you know side effect that has been raised um, from this amendment is uh, you know 
some commentators have said, well, doesn't this just mean that it will dissuade the implementation and use of end-to-end -end encryption, uh, end -end encryption or other forms of encryption, device encryption, et cetera, because uh, companies want to avoid that fight in the first place? I'm not sure about that. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about a world now where there are a lot of devices and a lot of popular services that are used by millions or even billions of people where th this is already just sort of a done deed. You know, the encryption mm -hmm. is in there, right? And it becomes much harder, I think, to try and, and roll back that yeah. state of reality that it is to fend off something that you can see coming down the pipe. And so, you know, when you're talking especially about large providers, which let's face it, are the people most able due to their deep pockets to weather any changes in 230, even though those bills are so often clearly aimed at just trying to stick it to the you know, five biggest companies. Um, it, it, I don't necessarily think will disincentivize companies that already deploy encryption. You know, WhatsApp is used by over a billion people. Are they really going to hold their horses on that right now? Um, but it does mean that you know, I think if you are a smaller provider, you might or might not be making changes to improve your encryption if you think it could open you up to liability. And, you know, the primary worry in this area seems to be about states. And you, I think, have talked a bit in your uh, mm -hmm. your blog post that you've been putting up about the manager's amendment to earn it to talk about the state law aspect of this. And, you know, I was hoping you could sort of tee that issue up for us to discuss because I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's a few different elements there, right? So so part of what the law does, and, and uh, I'm going to try and do this without going too deep into the weeds because <laughs> it, it just gets so weird and complex, but like it does open up the, 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 the different state laws and what, um, what the standards are um, for, you know, uh, uh, to, 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 to be found to have violated the law. And so like there are concerns about some states like Illinois in particular has been raised that this, the standard um, that they use is, is a lower standard than elsewhere. And, you know, when you have a particular state um, in, in, you know, in a country where the service is being offered across the country, whichever state has the lowest standard is the one that effectively everybody has to abide by. Um, otherwise all the lawsuits will be brought in that one state. Um, and so there are concerns that the impact of this creates this weird dilemma for some sites. Uh, and, and you mentioned like, will it encourage people not to encrypt? You know, I think there, there are situations where it will actually encourage more to encrypt basically just so that they can hang their hat on the Leahy amendment part of it. Um, and, you know, so that if they are brought to court that they can just point to, to the, the, exemption uh brought about by encryption and say well we're encrypting so therefore it's not and so in in um at one level that might be cool for those of us who believe that more encryption is probably a good thing um but the 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 reasons for why that might happen and the uncertainty of the of the legal situation i think is kind of worrisome and the flip side of that though that i pointed out in my post is that if you choose not to go and encrypt everything, um, the standards in the bill and some of the state laws will encourage you to no longer allow for anonymous communications um, because then you have a risk of, of violating uh, a lower standard of sort of recklessness in how you handle communications. And that may lead to an unfortunate situation where sites feel the need to 
um, verify every one of their users and, you know, no more anonymous signups, no more, you know, non real names. And in fact, it might be to the level of, we need to see your driver's license or some sort of identification in order to sign up. And there, therefore the end result of this is not only, you know, will they not be using encryption in those cases, they'll be collecting a ton of personal data. And at a time when more and more people are perhaps very reasonably concerned about how much data these companies collect to put in place a bill that might encourage more collection of even more sensitive data um, and think that that is a good solution to this problem seems very problematic as well. Right. And, you know, you mentioned the either or, you know, we still don't know what to call this, a moderator's yes. <laughs> dilemma, an encryptor's dilemma, where there's some speculation that if um, use of encryption is a safe harbor from liability, then the incentive is to crypt, encrypt more and more data than you already do. <clears throat> There's also the possibility under some of these state laws that have fairly low uh, you know, mens rea requirements, such as right. recklessness, that the alternative under certain state laws, such as I think you mentioned Illinois in, in one of your blog posts, um, where the alternative is saying, you know, if you recklessly failed to exercise reasonable inspection that would have disclosed that uh, the contents of a particular uh, file were, were CSAM, then doesn't that mean that a service either has to encrypt everything and then everything it doesn't encrypt in such a way that it can't see it, you know, and then, and, and then encrypted it, um, that they must scan and monitor and filter everything else. Right. Um, and that brings us back to the same Fourth Amendment problem that the original version of the bill had, and which I think uh, could still be present by devolving it to the states um, in this version. And the Fourth Amendment issue for, for those playing along at home is <laughs> the principle, and you mentioned this earlier when saying you know, yeah. that, that there's this voluntary reporting scheme. Um, the reason that federal law governing uh, providers' duties to report CSAM does not go further and say you have to proactively look for it is because there's a recognition that that would convert those private entities, uh, such as Dropbox or Twitter or whoever, into agents of the state for purposes of basically commanding them to conduct those searches to proactively monitor and filter everything. And the thin read on which so much of the current scheme for under which providers do find and report a lot of CSAM is that they're doing so voluntarily. Because basically forcing some private entity to act as an agent of the state does not allow the government to undertake any action through that, that cutout that it could not do directly itself. And one thing that the state is just flatly prohibited from doing is warrantless searches, right? And so if you are warrantlessly searching everybody's contents at all times, um, and you are an agent of the state rather than a private provider, then that would result in all of that evidence basically being obtained in violation of the Fourth Amendment. And so if there were to be a court case, a prosecution brought against somebody who emailed uh, CSAM to himself or um, stored it in a Dropbox folder or whatever, um, the risk then is that the court would say, look, this evidence was obtained by an unlawful search. This mass monitoring mm -hmm. and filtering program that this provider has uh, has been required by you know whichever bill. And therefore, we're going to throw that evidence out. And if the prosecution is just premised on that stuff that gets thrown out of court and can't be used as evidence, then that means that the people who are doing these worst of the worst crimes walk free. And thus, that's the risk the, that this Fourth Amendment state actor problem would pose, that the Earn It Act could end up 
backfiring completely yeah. and allowing a lot of these worst of the worst offenders on whom we premise quite a lot of surveillance proposals and reasons to restrict people's activities online um it would just blow up in their face. And so that's, you know, sort of the, the ironic risk of yeah. of the bill. And it's still there, I think, in the revised version, even though the original version clearly sort of had this carrot and stick uh, structure under which you could potentially, as a provider, remain eligible for continued Section 230 immunity for CSAM on your service if you jump through a bunch of hoops of these best practices set by committee, but you would be stripped of immunity and exposed to liability if you didn't. That's the carrot and the stick. You mentioned that that's gone. And I think that in the manager's amendment, that's intentional as a way to try to address this Fourth Amendment state actor problem, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily fix that Fourth Amendment problem if by exposing everybody to liability, whether they like it or not, with no carrot, just the stick, um, (laughs) by devolving that to the states under their state laws, if there are states um, such as Illinois or such as South Carolina, where they have this, you know, reasonable inspection recklessness Mm -hmm. standard, um, if you were put to this, this choice of encrypted all and monitor and filter everything, um, then it would be the state law that would potentially be converting a provider into an agent of the state and result in suppression. And if we, as you said, see providers adopting um, that kind of measure nationwide in order to comply with the most aggressive state law, um, then I don't know that that would even be limited just to, you know, prosecutions just within that particular state, right? So it could potentially still have this mass backfiring Fourth Amendment bomb in it, even though they've yanked out the language that very clearly, uh, to my mind, and I wrote about this uh, at length, uh, created this Fourth Amendment issue. Um, Although, you know, the the fact that they pulled all that stuff out shows that, oh, these were never really voluntary in the first place. Uh, (laughs) The measures that that you have under the best practices. I think now this is intended for the best practices to be much more voluntary. But as you said, there's nothing left to earn. What does right. it avail you to, to follow the best practices in the first place? And we can game through, um, you know, some of how that still might be uh, uh, beneficial, right? I think that you could still maybe craft a Fourth Amendment uh, problem out of, out of that too, out of the remaining incentives. Um, but I think this state law issue um, is, is, is a big one. And it goes back to why we have in the first place, uh, Section 230, barring enforcement of state criminal law, because, you know, it's, it's, it's scary to think that um, the most prudish or restrictive or authoritarian state when criminalizing a broad range of conduct would be calling the shots for the entire country. And there seems to be kind of this forgetting that that's why we had the state law bar in 230 in the first place so that um, those hippies in California <laughs> cannot, you know, dictate what uh, what takes place in South Carolina, since I'm sure we probably criminalize things that they don't agree with there um, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the Fourth Amendment one is, is really tricky to under, to sort of wrap your head around if you're not deep in the weeds on this stuff but and and i i've spoken to different people some people who do think that the the new version of the bill more or less fixed uh the fourth amendment issue and and lots of people who don't but but it is incredible how badly it might backfire where you know right because the whole thing is sort of set up in as a sort of you know flimsy charade right where it's like you know we can't tell you to do this but we're telling you to do this right (laughs) you know and 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 let's just bear in mind what the stakes are here. You know, they they flagrantly had a 
this Fourth Amendment problem in the original version of the bill. Okay, now they've taken that language out. There's still, as you said, there's some who think it's fixed. There's some who think it's still lurking there, uh, even without going to the, the state law problem, or even if you do. The stakes there, like if, if we're sitting here going, oh, well, it depends. You know, Of course I can come up with some theory under which there's still a problem. Let's, let's throw that at the wall and see what sticks. The stakes here are that the government is willing to go to court and see evidence of child abuse suppressed and see these offenders right. go free. Because they're saying, well, we think we fixed it. That's good enough. Let's let's take a gamble. That's what the stakes are here is potential suppression of evidence in a ton of cases, you know, across the country, not necessarily just in one particular state. Right. Um, this is an argument that we have seen uh, CSAM defendants bring up unsuccessfully in courts so far, which is to say, look, if there's this proactive filtering um, on this service that I used, uh, allegedly, um, and that's how that piece of material got caught and that's how I got prosecuted. Well, the provider is an agent of the state and the court so far has said, no, 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 it's voluntary. And so it's not. But if those arguments would gain a lot more steam uh, under under these, under EARNIT or under the state laws that it exposes providers to liability for violating, then those arguments could pick up traction and we could start seeing uh, the opposite results starting to come out. And, you know, that's those are the stakes there. And I think that, you know, when it comes to crafting policy, there's always some risk that the courts are going to interpret it in a way that you didn't intend. Um, but it seems like just such an unforced error, not only on yeah. the Fourth Amendment issue, but also on the First Amendment issue. These people should know better. You have folks like Diane Feinstein who've been in Congress basically forever. Um, they were there <laughs> for the first round and the second round and the third round, not just for the SESTA-FOSTA fight a couple of years ago, but going all the way back to the Communications Decency Act, you know, back in the 90s. We've been here before. We've yeah. seen how the courts will say this is going to strike down way more uh, speech than it is legal to do. This is not narrowly tailored to address the government's interest in fighting uh, online obscenity or in, in you know, whatever protect the children uh, thing it may be or in fighting CSAM, which is, you know, and has been a really difficult and sort of intractable problem for for. for providers to fight uh, over the years and now stretching into decades. Um, there, there's no excuse now for continuing to introduce bills like this that would have such a detrimental impact on so many people's completely legal conduct and completely legal and constitutionally protected speech online. If you should know better, stop writing bills to let the courts sort it out and just don't waste all of our time in the first place. You know, yeah. I would love to to basically put my own self out of a job here. You know, I focus on encryption policy in my role at Stanford, and I wish that I didn't need to have this job, but the, you know, they just they just won't stop, right? And that goes yeah. also for you know what has now become the All Section Two Thirty podcast all the time, right? Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> <laughs> to write about literally anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just a, a related thing to this, I mean, that, that is incredible to me and I think deserves more attention is is the fact that, you know, we, we're talking about all the ways that this might backfire and actually make going after those responsible for CSAM more difficult by suppressing the evidence. You know, the other aspect to this is the fact that, you know, uh, the DOJ has basically ignored the mandate that has been given to it to, to fight CSAM for many years. And, and, you know, Congress required the DOJ to come up with uh, a bunch of reports and plans on how to fight CSAM, and it has basically not done it. It is, you know, they, there were a bunch of reports that it was required to deliver and that it just ignored, uh, and they've done very little itself. So a lot of this bill, which is in part being pushed for by the Attorney General and the Justice Department, 
um, seems to be to cover up their own failings to actually do what they're supposed right. to do. Um, right. And that's why, like, there is this alternative bill that, that Senator Wyden put out, which basically is to throw a bunch of money uh, at the Justice Department specifically to actually do their job and, and you know, uh, and, and fight this, this, this kind of material. Um, and for some reason, that's gotten very, very little attention. It, it's true. You know, I think that that bill it has been criticized because, you know, we're, I think, in a moment where there's not necessarily the same uh, public enthusiasm for sure. law and order, you know, law enforcement, uh, you know, hit them hard and throw the book at them approach to, to policing and, and criminal justice that we used to have. But in at least it does take this approach to say, you know, instead of just throwing the book at people uh, after the fact and granting more police powers, more surveillance, it, the answer is always more surveillance for some reason, right? Um, <laughs> let's take a look at trying to address the factors that underlie um, right. what leads, um, you know, minors to be forced into uh, sex trafficking or to be abused in the first place. And those are things like housing insecurity. Right. Um, if, if you can provide a more stable home situation or have ways for people who are children who are being abused at home to get out and get more support, um, then that would cut down on this problem in the first place is, is the idea. And so that approach to saying, what if we just made everybody's lives better, right. um, I think is more realistic because one of the, the things that doesn't really get talked about is um, that we're, we're talking about trying to stop child sex abuse from happening, both in terms of recirculating images that have been around for years and that still make the rounds um, in these forums, but also to stop new abuse from happening. Right. And if you can ameliorate the conditions that allow that or start to work on changing societal attitudes uh, even further toward to get to a society where this just doesn't happen so much because we help the people who have those sorts of uh, perverse tendencies and we try and take away the conditions that allow it to happen in people's homes and and you know in unfortunately you know sex for sale type situations um, then maybe that would help us not have to just have the hammer after the fact. And right. in the revised version of the Earn It Bill, there is a very you know one-page-long section right at the end that directs um, a particular department of the DOJ to come up with some IT solutions for basically trying to more consistently and actionably report information to law enforcement agencies, such as the Task Force uh, for Internet Crimes Against Children, um, to be able to act on NCMEC reports, to be act on, on to, to act on the uh, many millions of, of reports that already are reported by providers every year, where one of the complaints is, look, a lot of the times uh, those reports go stale, and by the time somebody can get around to it, given that NCMEC is super overwhelmed and understaffed, and given that a lot of the local task forces and police forces are overwhelmed and understaffed, this just gets, it, it falls through the cracks. And so there is one page out of this bill that would try and address that and provide a million bucks of funding per year to try and, and provide these IT solutions. Um, it doesn't look like much by comparison to the Wyden bill, which, right. you know, in addition to all of that proactive, what if we looked at housing justice and housing instability, um, would also say, what if we tried to create more staffing for NCMEC so that it's not just a tiny team of people who are trying to handle tens of millions of, of, of reports per year. Um, but, you know, one page, it doesn't really come off looking 
too good after Wyden introduced a bill that had $5 billion attached right. to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, which is quite a lot. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And this is this is obviously a much bigger problem, how much of, you know, uh, uh, regulating and, and legislating seems to be about sort of Band-Aid solutions rather than looking at the underlying structural <laughs> problems of society but that, that, that <laughs> or, or sort of taking this you know I, I think maybe silicon valley is partly to blame for this but the attitude that there's a technological solution to social problems sure we're not going sure. to fix child sex abuse by changing the incentives or punishing um a handful of major online service providers not only will you still have dark websites and services that are completely devoted to CSAM, which do not care that they are already violating the law, which never qualified for Section 230 immunity in the first place, because as you said early on, Section 230 is not necessarily the problem here. It's not the bar uh, that I think it's being pretended to be uh, to taking action against these sites. They would not obey any of these laws. That's the whole point. When you are an illegal website, it doesn't matter to you what new laws get passed. (laughs) And so, you know, even if there were a technological solution to social problems, it would have to worry about stuff like housing security or changing societal attitudes about uh, about you know abusing children um you still have this issue where just going after the big five tech companies is not going to fix everything that ails american society and that's not just true of stuff like child abuse it's true of disinformation and election mm-hmm. problems and all of the you know increasingly divisive um you know, splits in society that we have seen uh, seeming to grow worse. I don't think that you can hang that entirely on on tech companies, and therefore you cannot hang the fix also entirely on tech companies either. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's an important point, but it's, you know, it, within the national discussion right now, everybody seems to think the problem, societal problems are really tech problems, mainly because they're uh, making those problems more visible. And so it's a blame the messenger kind of situation. Right, right. Um, and there's, I, I think it is worth saying, you know, that it, were it not for these large, easy to use, uh, you know, free data storage and, you know, email that I can keep basically a billion terabytes worth of, of stuff <laughs> in, you know, it, it does provide conditions under which it becomes easier, right, sure. than it was to trade this kind of abhorrent material Um in, in the olden days. But that is necessarily going to be true just because that's how the internet works. If everybody right. gets a capacious email account and if everybody can have a free uh, you know, cloud storage account and if everybody can just buy time on AWS or whatever, then you know, it's going to be abused for these things. That's inherent to the internet. And it, you know, I've talked about this before that I think part of what has motivated this backlash against tech companies and against Section 230 is that being on the internet kind of sucks now. And, <laughs> you know, having the ability to do things like we're doing now where it's going to be easy to upload and store a huge audio file from recording this podcast also means that there's a lot of storage that's easy for people to buy or external hard drives that it's easy for them to buy uh, in order to store it's kind of a boring content. That was true previously when it came to right. uh, copyrighted material. It's always going to be a general use technology that, you know, in the words of Ani DeFranco, any tool is a weapon if you hold it right. <laughs> right. And, and it does seem like, you know, all of the – it is enabling all kinds of things, much of it good and, and some of it bad. And, and that's kind of the nature of it and, and trying to just attack the bad parts without recognizing how much that might impact the rest of it also I think is um, – 
you know, is, is a problem. Now it's uh, just making it worse. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I uh, we've we've talked for a while, uh, but I still want to talk a little bit about the the uh, the lawful access to mm-hmm. whatever the LAED yeah. uh, bill, uh, which I've forgotten exactly what it stands for, um, because that does seem sort of tangentially connected to all of this. Right. So the lawful access to encrypted data bill laid or laid or however it's supposed to be said is this full-on frontal assault on strong encryption in the United States of the kind that Senator Graham, who is an author of both bills, uh, denied was the case with Ernit. There was always this thin veneer of plausible deniability where uh, Earn It was not supposed to be about encryption. And so taking uh, the Leahy Amendment uh, into the manager's amendment, uh, I think, is intended to be able to point up, oh, look, this bill is not about encryption. It's uh, it's about something else. And, and Graham said uh, when the markup was happening last last Thursday, look, that's a discussion for another day. This is not an encryption bill. We'll talk about that another day. And mm-hmm. he can, you know, sort of put paid to that promise because he's the one who introduced this bill just a couple of days before the markup was scheduled to happen uh, in late June. Um, and it's just, it's so brazenly and transparently an attempt to make earn it more palatable, even though it's not, even with the Leahy Amendment that would try to protect encryption, um, that I, I, it sort of boggles the mind that anybody would fall for this. Um, but the problem with the, with the Laid Act bill is that it does what no piece of legislation has gone so far as to do over the last six years, where we've seen repeated attempts occasionally, uh, both in Congress and in the states, to introduce some kind of anti-encryption legislation. This basically says, if you are one of the larger providers, which means you know anybody with a million users, which is not necessarily that many, you have to proactively change your encryption designs to build in uh, the capability to decrypt data for law enforcement. And if you are under that million plus club uh, threshold, then the attorney general can send you uh, a directive that says you have to build in that capability. And so this is the backdoor mandate that we have been dreading was coming. And it is not at all subtle. Um, Instead of being (laughs) sneaky, it is just very forthright, like, we're just doing away with strong encryption, sucks to be you, um, and even includes, you know, some kind of insulting language in the, you know, early preamble sort of sense of Congress section that just says, like, encryption is used by criminals. No, encryption is used by everybody. <laughs> it's, it's astonishing to me that the timing of this is really not only bad in terms of, of trying to make the bill look more reasonable, but also coming in the heels of two particular phenomena that have sprung up since Earnit itself was introduced in March, one of which is the coronavirus, where we're all working from, not everybody, my sister's an OR nurse, and she's like, who's this everybody that you're talking about? (laughs) Many people are working from home. We have to be on Zoom all day, every day, or on Signal, or on Messenger, what have you. A lot more activity is taking place online because we can't have the face-to-face conversations that previously would have guaranteed a greater modicum of privacy and security uh, than just you know picking up the phone and calling somebody. Um, and so in terms of the need to promote stronger encryption and promote stronger cybersecurity, in that sense, this bill could not have come out at a worse time. We really cannot afford, we couldn't afford before, and we certainly can't afford now, uh, to incentivize providers to make their security worse. And also, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the sort of popular tide of being fed up with policing racist 
policing and and mm-hmm. and and structural racism and police violence in the United States. And so to come out with a bill that just says encryptions for criminals and we're going to crack down on the use of encryption and to give greater powers to law enforcement is also extremely tone deaf or maybe right on tone as you mentioned. <laughs> um, if, if somebody's up for re-election, maybe right. uh, uh, trying to demonize uh, the people who are out there in the streets and sort of double down on this view of throw the book at them intensive policing greater and greater surveillance uh is perfectly uh, on message that's certainly true for one of the other co-sponsors of the three republican senators who introduced the lawful access to encrypted data act uh senator tom cotton who you will recall from such greatest hits as let's send in the full might of the u.s military to crush uh peaceful protesters exercising their first amendment rights um yes in the now notorious New York Times <laughs> op-ed. So, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's very on brand in, in that sense. But otherwise, from a cybersecurity perspective and from a broad call for reforms to the criminal justice system perspective, uh, this bill could not be worse timed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Um, it's just, I mean, we've seen other attempts and like a few years ago, Feinstein and Burr had their anti-encryption bill, but this is even more just like right out there, like no more, no more real encryption. Uh, I even push back on the no more strong encryption. I say it's no more real encryption because if it's not strong encryption, it's not, it's not encryption, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a a personal (laughs) viewpoint, but, uh, um, yeah, it's it's really intense. The funniest thing to me was as soon as the the LAED Act came out, um, I got a press release from this group, and I always forget their name. They used to they've changed names over the years. It used to be like I think it was like the Moral Majority or something like that, where they, there was this sort of very you know moralizing <laughs> group that has spent decades arguing that porn itself is illegal and should be blocked, um, and they were. Um, major lobbyists in favor of SESTA-FOSTA and have lobbied in favor of the Earn It Act. And as soon as this bill came out, they sent out this press release, which I have no idea how I'm on their list or why they don't take me off their list, but they send me stuff anyways, saying like, oh, you know, now that this bill is out, which we support to to end encryption, um, that proves that the Earn It Act is not about encryption and therefore we must pass both bills, which... <laughs> doesn't make any sense <laughs> <laughs> and it's somewhat contradictory but you know it it's like it just feels like this is all part of like this big game that, that they're playing to try and get some of these things through and right. just keep keep throwing more and more attempts at, at doing something uh, and i think again a lot of it is very performative and grandstanding and the you know there's something bad you know, uh, we must do something. This is something we will do it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole thing has been kind of exhausting. And I know that, that outside of this podcast, you and I have had discussions about how exhausting all of this is and that we're sort of taking all of our time to have to push back against these ridiculous laws. And it's just like every week, another one seems to pop up. Right. And, you know, I've, I've said it's like a DDoS attack on our attention yeah. and, and energy, right? There's a hundred senators and there's just, you know, one of you or just one of me. Um, and when it comes to bills like these, because there's so many and they're coming so fast and furious, there's always the question for those of us who would oppose them to think, well, how much effort do, do we right. spend on this one? Do we ignore it and let it sink like a stone or, or do we need to focus on this? And, 
there's there's kind of a sense I think early on like oh Ernest's not supposed to go anywhere but look it's just passed out of committee um, right. and it could be you know one of those bills where oh it has no chance of passing until suddenly it does um, right. and and that is also supposedly the case with the LAED bill mm-hmm. which is okay this is just this crazy extreme thing that got introduced and it's not supposed to go anywhere but you know I, it, it suggests to me that we need to to continue to fight this I thought okay Sesta Foster isn't going to go anywhere this is nuts. And right. I thought the same thing about the Australian anti-encryption yes. <laughs> bill that got passed at the end of 2018, on which I think there are parts of uh, the LAED Act that are clearly modeled on that. Um, and I sort of thought, too, like, oh, this is, this is just not going to happen, right? So we're gonna, and then it passed. You know, right. even though it was very unpopular, there were a lot of people crying out against it. And it's had this sort of, you know, negative effects on the tech economy down there that that, that were predicted to happen. Um, and so it, it seems to me that we can't necessarily afford to just rest on our laurels. And, you know, there's... Um, there's efforts underway to try and oppose both of these bills. Um, I signed on to a coalition letter spearheaded by the Internet Society that came out this morning to oppose the LAED Act. That was a letter sent to the three uh, mm-hmm. sponsors of the bill. And there are also efforts underway to try and, and help people contact their senators. Uh, and now, I guess, if it looks like this might move out of the, the, the Senate into the House, uh, to contact their House of Representatives uh, members as well. And so just to, to throw it out there, you can go to noearnitact.org in order to contact your Congress people and let them know that you oppose uh, their act. You can always throw in opposition to the LAED Act too while you're at it. Right. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, one of those things where even these bills that, that seem crazy and, and seem like they have no chance, um, you never know. And especially, you know, we're, we're in the season where, where we have appropriations bills that, that are often described as must pass. And there's a long history of throwing a particular <laughs> crazy bill into a must pass appropriations bill just to get it through without any debate or challenging or challenges. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's something that we need to be aware of. And that's why, like, I've gone through that whole thing where is it worth talking about a bill that a- appears to have no chance? And I fear that, like, if we if people play it down and don't raise the alarm, that when it is time to do the, the political horse trading that happens on these appropriation bills to, to throw in this or that favor to this or that senator, um, you know, someone says, well, there wasn't that much controversy over this. So let's just toss it in there. Right. Um and so, yeah, unfortunately, it's one of these things where we have to be constantly raising the alarm, um, you know, and, and you, you don't want to be the, the you know, the uh, crying wolf kind of situation. But all of these are serious. These are all wolves. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <they're... laughs> the price of the Internet is eternal vigilance, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I, just, I just wish there were more people. <laughs> <laughs> Any foundations, programs officers out there, if you're listening, <laughs> we yeah, could all use funding for additional full-time employees to help us work on this. Seriously, seriously. Anyways, well, uh, given all that, I have taken enough of your time, <laughs> uh, but but I appreciate it. I know that, that you and I could discuss this for, for much, all much day. longer. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much longer people will be willing to listen to it, but, <laughs> but um, you know, there's a lot going on and it's important. And right now it's pretty scary uh, given how many attacks are going on. And the earn it is, is perhaps the most serious of those. And it's, you know, as you said, it was voted out of committee um, unanimously, unfortunately. Um, 
and so it's something that needs to be understood and watched and fought against. So, um, what what was the website again? I, I saw it this morning, but I, the, the noearnitact.org. Noearnitact.org. So check that out uh, and and speak out and contact your elected officials because this is this would be a huge huge mess, uh, and hopefully it doesn't doesn't get that far. But but you never know, and there's a very real chance that this will move. So on that happy note, (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you for taking the time to to discuss this. Thank you for all that you've written and spoken about this over the last, you know, however many months uh, and and continuing to be, you know, one of the the vigilant ones. uh, And it is it is greatly appreciated uh, by by everyone, everyone who believes in a in a good and free and open Internet, at least. and uh, thank you to everyone for listening to all of this and, and hopefully for speaking out as well. Uh, and um, uh, again, we'll be back soon. Uh, I no longer say next week because who knows anymore <laughs> what's <laughs> happening in the world. Uh, but we'll be back soon with another podcast. So thanks. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.